Now I'd like to introduce tonight's moderator, Ms. Lois Kasikoff. Lois Kasikoff is a deputy editorial page editor of the San Francisco Chronicle. She is responsible for the op-ed page, including the opinion editorials and the columnists, and the Sunday Insight section. She was named the Association of Opinion Journalists Opinion Journalist of the Year in 2011. Please give a very warm welcome to Lois Kasikoff. Good evening. First, we'll uh, introduce our panelists here who have a widespread and interesting array of views on water in general and the Delta specifically. Um, I wanted to just sort of introduce this to say that you know, the Delta's a really complicated pro problem. It's what sometimes referred to as a wicked problem where there's too much information, too little information, too many competing views, not enough views, it's big expensive project to fix, big expensive project to not fix, it's, and it's connected to everything else in the state. So you're, you're in for a, a naughty evening, I guess. Um, first, Campbell Ingram is the director of the Delta Conservancy, which is a state agency that works to protect and enhance and restore the Delta's economy, its environment, its agriculture, its landscapes. Ellen Hannock is with the Public Policy Institute of California. She's a water policy expert and a, somewhat of a, a water visionary. She's written a couple of papers on the vision for California water for decades to come. Uh, Russell Van Lobensels is a lifelong North Delta farmer. He's a member of the Sacramento County Farm Bureau. He's a pear farmer, and I believe his family's 130 years on, on the same croplands. Um, Joe Marr is the Deputy Operating Officer for Water Supply for the Santa Clara Valley Water District. She's a member of the State Water Contractors Association Board for the Water District. She's in charge with sort of all water that moves, which is reservation, reservoir operations, uh, groundwater recharge, recycled water, water transfer, water that's moving around. So. So let's begin. So we have an environmentalist, a water policy planner, a Delta farmer, a urban water district official. Um, so I thought I'd start with this, a survey that was conducted at the beginning of last year about the Delta asked this question, um, what is the Delta? What do you know about it? 78% of the respondents said they didn't know what it is and they'd never heard of it. So the first question is, what would you tell these unknowing Californians who said they knew nothing about the Delta? Who wants to jump in? Jump. Well, I, I do think this is one of the challenges that we uh, have in the Bay Area in general and certainly in, in the South Bay Area where Santa Clara Valley Water District is, is just people understanding where their water comes from. Uh, you know, in San Francisco, you know about the Hetch Hetchy system. Um, that's pretty straightforward. It's not always recognized that um, most of the Bay Area, Contra Costa, East Bay Mud, San Francisco, the suburban customers, um, and in our area, that we all depend on that Delta watershed. You know, um, in our area, 40% uh, of our supply is conveyed through the Delta. Another 15% comes from Hetch Hetchy. Um, in 
you know, obviously in uh, Alameda County, there are portions that rely on the Delta for 87% of their supply and so on and so forth. So it can range from 40 to 80% or even 90% of the Bay Area that depends on that watershed. That's the message that more people need to understand, that their future reliable supplies depend on a healthy Delta. Having, having the opportunity to grow up in the Delta, I would probably give a little different perspective of what the Delta is. <clears throat> For me, the Delta is a place where agriculture, the environment, water all come together. Um, we have a vibrant ecosystem. Every morning at this time of year, uh, hundreds of sandhill cranes fly over my house, headed for wherever they're going to eat. And then they head back to Stone Lakes or the Nature Conservancy's uh, um, uh, preserve uh, to spend the rest of their day. So for, for me, the Delta is a vibrant community, an economic base based on agriculture, the land mass. It also, I, I grew up in the Delta, played on the rivers, learned how to fish, hunt, all of those kinds of things. So for me, the Delta is, is more ab about the people and the, the place that are there. Ellen? I write about the Delta a lot, and I'm always trying to find a concise way to describe it. I think it's a network of over 60 man-made islands protected on each side by levees that mostly work 24-7 because the land itself has sunk over time because of the farming and because of oxidation of the soils. There are about 1,100 miles of these levees, about 700 miles of channels. Most of those are artificial. Um, so it's kind of a, a, a fantastic experiment in reclaiming land that happened really from the 1860s until the 1930s. And it's been a very productive agricultural area. It's sort of an ecological hub. And it's also the hub of California's water supply. So it's a place that people are trying to figure out how to make work because it's not, not staying static. It's changing. Sea level rise is putting more pressure on those levees. And the fish are not doing so well. Fortunately, the birds are doing a little better. Um, and so we've got a problem. So our role is to, to help with ecosystem restoration and economic development in the Delta. And so I guess I like, I like Russell's response. It, it's this amazing place where agriculture and environment come together. Um, it needs a lot of help um, in, in many ways. But I guess if I were talking to people in Southern California, I think the key message would be understand where your water comes from and what the threats are to that water supply. And probably the best thing that they can do or that we can all do to reduce the, 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 the stressors to the system is start to think more about how, living within our means from a water perspective in the state of California. So the question that was posed tonight was, how can the California Delta survive? Which sort of suggests that it's not surviving. From each of your specific viewpoints, what is the most pressing concern about the Delta? What would you rank first? So I'll go, <clears throat> I'll go first. The, the Delta, in order to survive, needs fresh water. It, the water is the key to the Delta. When you, when you consider that we have two rivers, the San Joaquin 
on one side and the Sacramento, which is the Delta watershed, coming together. And we have what the flow creates the hydraulic barrier to the ocean. If you remove the flow, the ocean uh, intrudes. Saltwater intrusion occurs. And that creates all kinds of problems for different kinds of habitats, for different creatures, for, as well as for farming. So water is key, flow in and flow out. Uh, flow out is, is what creates the hydraulic barrier to the ocean. Flow in is what keeps the delta fresh. We have a problem. On the San Joaquin, only 30% of the water that falls on the San Joaquin watershed reaches the delta. The South Delta, the water quality is very, very poor. Uh, the Sacramento uh, keeps the Delta, Sacramento River keeps the Delta fresh. Um, but even then, in the last 50 years, we've gone from 80% of the water from the watershed uh, as the outflow from the Delta down to less than 50%. So the key to a healthy Delta, uh, the way I see it, is, is, is the water. And it, it, it's water that the Delta needs, that California needs. We need to figure out how to, how to um, make it last, make it work as hard as it can. And I think, for me, it's key that the, the Delta Reform Act of 2009 spelled out that there should be less dependence on the Delta as a water supply over time. Ellen, you want to jump in? Biggest problem? Mm -hmm. the, the, there are a lot of problems. I think the toughest one is that there's been a, a long-term decline in a lot of the native fish species that depend on the delta. And some of these fish live in the delta surrounding areas the whole, all of their lives. Some of them make their way to the ocean after spawning and, or, or after being born and, and come back again, the salmon and the steelhead and, and sturgeon. And so we're faced with a, 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 an ecosystem crisis that is really kind of pitting all the other interests and, and, and folks who want to use the water and, and use the, the land in certain ways um, they're confronted with a problem, which is how do, you, how do you continue those water and land uses in ways that are going to be compatible with making things better for these fish, which are now listed under the State and Federal Endangered Species Acts, and, and um, creating a situation where there are regulatory obstacles that, are, that, that have to be dealt with in order to move forward. Right. Okay. Joan? Oh, I... I'm hard-pressed to say what's at the top of the list, but um, I think one of the messages of the, um, you know, the 2009 Delta Reform Act is, you know, we have the focus on the Bay Delta Conservation Plan, which is specifically, is a comprehensive plan for the recovery of species. It's easy and has been easy to point the finger at one cause of decline or another. You know, traditionally, it's, it's the amount of water being diverted out of the South Delta that's been the knob that the regulators like to turn. But what we're seeing is that um, there are many factors that have to be considered in restoring uh, the decline of fisheries. 95% of the habitat that used to exist in the Delta for these species is gone. Um, 
You know, in many estuaries of the world, when you compare our, our estuary with others, typically they're a place where fish fatten up before they go out to the ocean. In our, as they go through our delta, they, they lose weight. Um, it's just not a, a hospitable place for fish. So some of the... Um, when you hear, oh, the delta needs more water, and I don't disagree that there is a right amount of water that is needed in the, for the delta. That's part of habitat. But you have to look, are you using it as a surrogate for, um, for basically better habitat? Are you trying to dilute the pollutants or um, the, change the chemistry in the delta? What are you using that water for? Are you using it to just get them out of there as fast as possible because it's an inhospitable place for them? Um, so that's something that I would say is, the, you know, the hope that I have with the 2009 um, Delta Reform Act is it did establish a framework, not only the Bay Delta Conservation Plan, but the broader Delta Plan. And, and I think the work of the um, Delta Conservancy and, you know, it established finally a framework, I think, to start addressing these very, very uh, difficult problems. Um, I, and I guess as an urban water supplier with... Um, you know, 1.8 million people in Santa Clara County, depending on when they turn the knob, they want the water to come out. We, I would have to say that the condition of the delta levees, uh, the stability of these non-engineered levees built on very weak peat soils, as Ellen says, we have climate change happening, we have the island's interior subsiding. It's a recipe for disaster. Um, we can see it coming. And I know there's difference of opinion about the degree to which the levees are in compromised or um, vulnerable, but I think the fact of the matter is everybody agrees the current condition is not sustainable. Campbell, you're, you're in the, the middle of the delta, looking out for delta interests. How do you see it? Well, it's certainly hard to sort of decide whether it's the water supply vulnerability or the ecosystem collapse. I mean, those are obviously major problems. But I think probably our biggest problem in the Delta today is our inability to effectively communicate around the complexity and the challenges that, that really are confronting us in the Delta. It's a limited resource issue. And more and more, we're, we're seeing those issues everywhere. And it just gets incredibly challenging to, to hold all the complexity that is the Delta be able to convey that complexity to the people that live in the Delta or outside the Delta that depend on the Delta so that people can actually make informed decisions and understand all the components and all of the elements. So I think uh, um, Secretary Laird's often fond of saying, you know, the co-equal goals um, are to, you know, supply reliability and the ecosystem, and everybody's firmly committed to at least one of those co-equal goals. <laughs> And so there is a, you know, it's, we're almost at a stalemate where it, um, everybody recognizes there's a suite of stressors on the Delta. We've got to address them. And everybody's quite happy to have those addressed, provided that you're addressing the stressors that somebody else is causing rather than maybe the ones that you might be responsible for. So it just seems to the magnitude of the problem and the complexity and our human nature really confounds our ability to um, come up with, a, with effective solutions for the problem. Since you mentioned reliability, which is my favorite delta debate word, um, could each of you define what is meant by reliability? Water, water supply reliability or mm -hmm. reliability supply. in general? Yeah. 
know what it means for us. Um, uh, basically, the amount of water that we, we have contracts with both the Central Valley Project and the State Water Project. As I said, uh, on average, they provide about 40% of our annual supply. In a dry year like this, critically dry year like this, where we have no local, there's no local water in, in our local reservoirs, um, you know, 90% of our supply in Santa Clara County will be coming from imported water in this year. Um, so it's basically, in our planning, we can't afford to lose the amount of supply that we have today. So we're not looking to get vast amounts more out of the delta or even significantly more out. We want to be able to not lose what we have today um, through increasing regulation. Reliability for us also means um, in, you know, infrastructure reliability, the, inf the infrastructure of the delta and being able to um, you know, reduce the risk of seismic failures of levees and so on. So that's really our definition of reliability. Russell, you want to? Um, can I comment first on the co-equal goals just a little bit? The co-equal goals were developed by a process called the Delta Vision in 2008. In 2009, they were adopted into law in the Delta Reform Act. The, the, the thing that uh, frequently is left out is when the co-equal goals are, are spelled out, there is a, a qualification, and that qualification is that the co-equal goals shall be uh, implemented or achieved in a manner that protects the resources of the Delta, including agriculture. And so we need to understand that when we talk about the co-equal goals. Getting back to reliability, uh, from, from our perspective in the Delta, the, the system itself is far less uh, in danger of collapsing than, uh, the, than you might believe. Um, the earthquake uh, danger in the Delta, an example, um, the, there was an artificial levee built on one of the islands around Walnut Grove on, on Pete Foundation, and they shook that thing and it would not fall down. They were very surprised. So. Uh, we, we're, we're on a foundation that's, that's very liquid. It's almost like putting a building on rollers. It just sort of rolls around a bit. Levees may slough a little bit, but the, the feeling is, from our perspective, that the earthquake hazards are, are greatly overestimated uh, or emphasized. And uh, the, the system, although there are islands that are more challenged than others from... from uh, from subsidence, which is land sinking, a great deal of the levee, a great deal of the levees in the delta are built on sound foundation, and there's very little subsidence. It's on the western delta, the uh, where the area is more subsided than others. So reliability of the system and and many of the levees, uh, some of some of the studies that were done. Uh, did not take into effect that approximately half the levees have had major, major improvements made on them in the last 15, 15 years. So uh, as far as the system itself as, as being reliable, uh, I think it's more reliable than it's been characterized. Uh, with regards to reliability of, of, of supply, when you look at um, a, a system that is supplied by Mother Nature, 
either through snowfall, through rainfall, and not very reliable. Some years we're going to have a lot, some years we're going to have a, a little. In order to make that system reliable, what we need is not conveyance, we need storage. We need to be able to hold water during the wet periods and then move it to where it's needed in, 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 in the dry periods. We, we don't have that in, in the system that's being discussed today. So uh, when I think of the reliable within the co-equal goals, to me the reliable doesn't say anything about amount. I know what the water contractors would like to, to, to do uh, with the, the BDCP, and that is protect what they're getting today. And I'm not sure that the system can, uh, can support that. The fish and, and the, the ecosystem uh, can support the, the amount of water that's being taken today. The, the amounts being taken um, range and are normally around 5.4 million acre-feet. From, from what I, the estimates I've heard are BDCP might produce between 4.3 and 5.8, a huge differential. But uh, the actual amount to me is not the question of reliability. The question of reliability is, is can you, can you uh, develop a system that's not so constrained that you can rely on a amount not necessarily what you'd like. Before we, I just wanted to jump in here. Um, BDCP is the Bay Delta Conservation Plan. It's kind of the latest in a series of different looks that the state has taken of what to do about the Delta and the Delta supply. The Bay Delta Conservation Plan is kind of reaching a, uh, a crucial moment right now because in December, the draft plan of what this plan would look like will be published and the people in the state of California will have the opportunity to comment on it and then next fall we'll be making a decision on this. You may have heard about the twin tunnels, the plan to build tunnels under a portion of the delta to move water around the uh, eastern side of it and then bring it to the pumps on the south side. So the water be taken in the north delta, routed around and then sent into the, the state water system in the south. So, but that's the Bay Delta Conservation Plan. That's, that's what we're, we're talking about. Okay, Ellen? So reliability, it's, it, you know, when you, you ask us all to define our, our reliability, it's kind of like defining what your need is mm -hmm. or something. And, and it really is something that is in the eye of the beholder for the state economy as a whole. Um, you can think of it like this, about, a th about 30% of the Bay Area's water supply comes through those pumps in the South Delta, about 30% of urban Southern California's water, same, and about 30% of the water for San Joaquin Valley agriculture. So right now, um, just from the regulatory, increased regulatory restrictions on pumping because of the critters, that are not doing so well, the, the pumping, the average pumping is now quite a bit less than it, it was before 2007. I want to say maybe about a 20, 25% drop, something like that. So that means relative to what somebody was getting on average before, somebody's hurting um, in terms of 
what they were what they were used to, and that somebody is especially agriculture in the San Joaquin Valley. So if you think about, you know, California as the fruit and and nut basket of uh, of the world, um, certainly of America and, and also of the world, um, it, it's a lot of those very very productive farms that are that are in trouble because of these shortages and. So for them, uh, reliability means trying to find a way to get the pumping back up to where it was. Um, so they would like to see that get to sort of back up to, you know, closer to six million acre feet. Um, and they would like that to be done in a way that's not too expensive for them, which is a really tough proposition given the kind of costs that this alternative infrastructure, um, that price tag is, is basically going to make that hard under any circumstances. And, and the planning so far makes it look like it's going to be hard to send that much water through the system no matter how you engineer it and have the fish be okay. Um, so some people are never going to be satisfied with reliability. What about the smaller amount of reliability, say, relative to what we've got now, that's still going to be a challenge in terms of transitions for urban areas. Um, but I would say that we've got the tools to do that over time with, you know, the, the portfolio that Joan manages, for example, is very diverse. Um, you guys are not just relying on water from the Delta. It's, a, it's an important piece of your portfolio, but a lot of it is how do you store that in the wet years so that you've got more in your groundwater basin, conservation, recycled water use, and so on. And, and this is something that urban agencies are doing all over the state, and, and that can help with making do with less from the Delta on average. Um, so I think that the, the key challenge is going to be what is the future of San Joaquin Valley agriculture? And it's, it's, a, it's a tough issue, just like the future of Delta agriculture is with, with whether those levees stay in place or not. Yeah. And I would, I would just observe it's also the future of the San Joaquin Valley groundwater basin as well because it's the law of you know, unintended consequences sometimes. You you know, where is the, you're either going to have to vastly change the agricultural production of, of the state, of, Cal, of the San Joaquin Valley, or, um, you know, there will, will be greater impacts, I think, on groundwater. Okay. Campbell? I'm not sure I have a lot to add on supplier reliability or what the definition of reliability. I think, I think we've, we've covered, I think, you know, Russell highlighted some issues where there's a lot of contention around those things that threaten reliability in the delta, the condition of the levees, the threat of sea level rise and salinity encroachment into the delta. Those issues are all really hotly debated. Uh, um, and subsidence is another major issue in the delta that just on, on a daily basis continues as the land goes down. It increases that hydrostatic pressure on those levees and, and creates more vulnerability. So. There's, there's not a shared understanding of those issues. And so, again, it just makes it really challenging to define what reliability is, but also what are the threats to that reliability from, uh, and, and then have a, a sort of a collective understanding about that and then how you might go about solving those issues. So we are a divided state in many different ways. Um, you know, urban, rural, valley, coast north, south. 
Um, people in Northern California tend to think about water in a very different way, maybe because we live around San Francisco Bay, um, and it, water's kind of part of our daily existence. We, we think about water differently than people in Southern California. How will that affect the political issues around whatever we do in the Delta? Ellen, you've got you to jump into this one. Okay. I I don't know how many of you out here in the audience were around in California in 1982 when there was a vote. On the peripheral canal. The peripheral canal, okay. <laughs> um, if, you, if you take a map of California's counties, and instead of coloring it red or blue, like you know, now it gets done with, with parties, and you color it red or green for yes or no, um, it's, it's a fascinating map because you have a few green counties in the south, southern part of the state, and then the rest is red, and the, the turnout was really high, and the, the no percentages were over 90% in most counties, um, including up here in, in, in our fair city. Um, and it was a campaign at that time against building Instead of a tunnel and tunnels, it was an above-ground canal that was going to be big. It was going to be way bigger than what the folks are talking about now, and it was going to be definitely taking a lot more water out of the system. Um, so, you know, I think with, in hindsight, certainly one can say that the environmental concerns of, about that were, were correct. Actually, a lot of the, the campaign money came from farmers south of the Delta who thought that it was just too expensive. Um, and, you know, now I think they probably wish they, <laughs> they had not done that because those are the guys that are hurting right now. Um, so what's changed since 1982? Um, in 1982, the Bay Area did not really depend that much on the Delta for water supplies um, as it does now. I mean, now we're as vulnerable, really, as Southern California is. So um, it'll be a challenge for... You to your agency to get that message out to people, I think. Yes, well, I, it is. Um, and you notice uh, when I talk about the Delta, I talk about the Delta watershed because it's really uh, not just an export problem. If there's not a healthy Delta, it will affect the entire uh, Sacramento San Joaquin Valley. Um, you know, at some point, the. Um, you know, every, everything that moves in that watershed contributes to the health of the Delta. So, um, and that includes, I hate to say, Hetch Hetchy, it includes the diversions out of the Delta from Contra Costa, it includes, uh, you know, East Bay Muds McKelney River Project. And, you know, it's easy to sit back and say, oh, that's just, that's their problem. We got our water, that's their problem. Well, I'm afraid it doesn't work that way. The State Water Resources Control Board will, you know, they look at the whole watershed. So that's one thing. Um, I think you were talking about, uh, you know, the political realities. And as I said, helping people to understand where the water comes from, what their responsibility is to the, to the Delta, um, is, is very important. You know, it has to, it's a very complex place. It has to serve a, not only the in-Delta, there is an in-Delta um, environment that has to be um, taken care of, as, as Russell says, it's we need to solve these problems respecting the Delta as it stands today, um, as an evolving place, 
as well as exactly what it says in the legislation. So um, that's a, a part of the political reality. Um, can I just say one more thing? Sure. The Bay Delta Conservation Pro, uh, Plan is not all about these twin tunnels that you hear about. <laughs> there are 22 conservation measures. The conveyance is one of those, and it's been supported by um, basically the fishery agencies want to see that we have multiple ways of moving water out of the delta, not just the south delta, in order to make sure that the flow patterns in the delta remain in a more natural um, east to west flow pattern. Right now, a lot of times the flow pattern is north to south, and that's not the best for fish. Right. And the reason that it's, it's yeah. north to south is because the water pumps the st the mm -hmm. make the river run backwards. Um, pumping water uses more electricity in California than any other single use. Um, and so, yes, more, they're looking to, to have a more natural flow of the water through the delta. So, so Campbell. I think, um, I think it's interesting, Ellen brought up the, the 1983 referendum for the peripheral canal. Um, one of the interesting things about this go-around is that it, the decision to actually move forward with the delta plant, BDCP, and the construction of the tunnels may not actually come up for a referendum. Um, the agencies are, are developing the plan. Uh, the, the draft will be out shortly. There'll be a lengthy public comment period. But ultimately, at that point, they can make a decision and potentially move forward without putting it to a vote. And that's sort of the expectation at this point. Now, the funding component for that, um, uh, there, it, would it would require a water bond that has been originally was to go to the, on the ballot in 2010, and then it was postponed to 2012, and now it's looking like it's postponed to 2014. That is necessary to, to fund the, the majority of the habitat restoration that is a component of the Bay Delta Conservation Plan, and, and theoretically, they're supposed to kind of move along together. Um, but it, uh, it sort of separates the politics a little bit, um, in, in my view. I know Ellen's wanting to jump in. The other thing, well, the other thing I would just say, um, that's obviously not popular in the Delta, that that's the way that it could move forward. Um, well, go ahead. So, before the 1982 referendum, the state legislature had signed off on the peripheral canal, the governor had signed off on the peripheral canal, the federal agencies had signed off on the peripheral canal, and then... Um, the initiative process led to a referendum. That could certainly happen again today if the deal that is made is not sufficiently seeking of consensus. Um, yeah. And I think that's why you know, the process that all three of you all, um, your, you personally or your agencies, have been involved in to try to kind of call Delta Dialogues, which is to try to kind of help improve the understanding among the different parties that are affected by this is, is really important because um, are we going to get unanimity on a deal um, that everybody is completely happy with? No. no. <laughs> <laughs> but is it possible to get to a place where most people can live with it? Yes. So, and, and that's the challenge. Um, I, I, I would like to add uh, this. Uh, the, uh, when, when the legislature in 1982 passed the peripheral canal, 
It was signed by then Governor Brown. Uh, in, uh, during uh, Governor Schwarzenegger's term, Governor Brown was our Attorney General. And he issued a, a, an opinion that because the legislature and the governor had signed a bill authorizing the peripheral canal, um, the Twin Tunnels project as it, as it is now could go forward without additional votes, without an additional uh, public uh, political process. That's very frustrating for us in the Delta because the, the process began in 2006 uh, between uh, parties almost behind closed doors. For, it, was, it was several years before we even knew it was in existence, um, the, the process of, of revitalizing or bringing this peripheral canal back. Um, it, has, uh, it, it was pretty well shaped before we were able to get involved. And at that time, it was a, a much bigger project than it is today. Um, people in the Delta feel that if the project is sized so that it cannot physically harm the delta by removing too much water at, at the wrong place, um, there is a certain amount of support. Of course, there will always be um, people who, who won't like anything. Um, but this project is still sized and placed in a position where it could harm the delta by taking too much water out at the wrong place. Now, that's not to say that it will. There are lots of things that need to be decided before, um, before this uh, could be constructed and, and operated. But there's another frustration for us, and that is the operating principles are not part of the project. Um, it's almost a, a trust me. Uh, let us build the project, and then we will, and during the time that we're constructing it, or after we've constructed it, we'll decide how we're going to operate it. That's very difficult, uh, especially a, a project that is placed in a position in the delta and sized so big that it can take out more water than, than is healthy for the delta. Again, the frustration for us is that there is no political process, that it has um, it is, it is become an administrative process, very difficult to weigh in on, very difficult to influence. You want to add something here? Um, I guess I would like to put in a, a, a bit of a plug for our Delta Dialogue process. So it was, it's an attempt to be more comprehensive, bring all the Delta interests together to first develop a shared understanding, a better shared understanding of each other's interests in the Delta, and then really to start to think about ways that we can take that shared understanding out into, the, into these other processes that are happening and affect those processes. And so one of the most interesting things that we've been doing recently is looking at a, a suite of alternatives that might meet more delta interests without having the, the, you know, the negative element, the negative impact on the in-delta interests, and, and really help to, to focus a little bit more on the trust issue. I mean, there's a, there's a lot of concern about whether or not these facilities will be operated the way they say they'll be operated and the way they'll be permitted to operate. And are there other ways that you might look at how you take water from the delta in a way that's more self-limiting and, and based on when water is actually available? And so it's a fruitful discussion, and I think one of the reasons it's fruitful is because it's, 
It involves all the Delta interests at that table. As Russell was saying, there's been a feeling in the Delta for a very long time that they have not been adequately represented in these processes. So this is a, it, it's a, it's, it adds value in that regard. The other thing I would say is that you can follow that process, um, that we have a journalist that actually describes everything that happens in the meeting. So you can see all the discussion that happened um, so that's a way that we can try to take the value of what's happening in that room and push it beyond that room so that people can understand some of the deliberations. So you can look at it on our website, uh, deltaconservancy.ca.gov. You can find a link to that process. You had something you wanted to add? Uh, just, I, uh, again, I uh, very much appreciate the Delta Dialogues process. I think any, you know, any uh, discussion that can be you know, uh, constructive con discussion that can be focused on, you know, finding common ground is, is very worthwhile. Um, but I did want to address the notion that it was somehow behind closed doors because uh, this is a, a, a habitat conservation plan, natural communities conservation plan under, um, under uh, state and federal law. You have to have a planning agreement. You have to have the stakeholders sign on to it. Um, and there was such an agreement in 2006. Many uh, non-governmental environmental organizations signed on as well as state and federal contractors and so on. People were given the opportunity, have been given the opportunity since 2006 to weigh in. But I could understand that some of the Delta interests maybe were not ready and did not, you know, um, want to come to terms with it, I guess, until um, they could see where things were going. So I, 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 I can definitely appreciate that. And, um, you know, I do think there is potential. The state will come out on December 13th with the public review drafts. Encourage everybody to take a look at those. Um, you know, look at the details, especially the operating criteria that are in those plans. Um, and just engage however you can. I think that would be helpful. Okay. Do you want to go to questions now? Okay. Hi, I'm Charlotte Allen, and uh, I'm the co-chair of the Sierra Club Bay Chapter Water Committee. And for me, the question of the Delta all comes down to how much water do you want to reliably export? Uh, and I notice that except uh, for the farm interests, nobody really addressed that. Do you support exporting an unsustainable 6 million acre feet a year <laughs> or are you satisfied with a reliable 3 million acre feet a year? And I would be very interested in the uh, government representatives and the water agency person to answer that. Well, I, I think the definition of reliability really has to do with sustainability. Um, so, you know, obviously, for us to have a reliable supply, we need to have a sustainable system that can deliver that supply. Um, as I said, for Santa Clara County, we would like, as far as quantity of water, we, we basically we, we have a portfolio approach to our water supply. We know our future water demands will all be met with recycled water and conservation. Um, we're making large investments. In fact, we're starting um, in March, we'll be um, putting into operation the first basically advanced water purification center in Northern California, um, an MGD facility in Sunnyvale. So we, we really, um, that's the direction we're going. 
With that said, we need that foundation of supply from the Delta. We can't, you know, Santa Clara County a long time ago passed the point where it could live on local supplies, recycled water and conservation. So we do need those imported supplies just as much as, you know, the rest of the Bay Area needs imported supplies. Do, and if you want to add to that? I would, yeah, I, w I would just like to point out to people, it's really important when you think about freshwater supplies in the Delta to, to know some basic math about, about that system. Um, exports are one way that water gets taken out of the Delta. That's actually after the water gets into the Delta and then is, is removed from the, from the South. About two-thirds of the water that's actually taken out and that does, does not make it through Golden Gate uh, the Golden Gate, underneath the Golden Gate Bridge, is actually taken out before it ever gets to the Delta, and that includes the water that we drink in, in my fair city here in San Francisco. It includes, and if anybody's from the East Bay, it's your water too. Um, it's a lot of the agriculture, not only in the, in the Sacramento Valley, but on the east side of the San Joaquin Valley. So, um, in thinking, if we really care about fresh water for the fish, we should not just be focusing on exports as, as the, the problem, there, there is a broader issue of how we're managing that watershed, how we're managing the water resources, how we're managing the riparian habitat all the way upstream of the delta, not just in the delta, how we're not discharging toxic pesticides when we're treating against ants around our buildings, which turns out to be really bad for uh, critters in, in, in the water. Um, wastewater treatment plant standards, fisheries management, it, uh, there's a whole set of things. And so, uh, you know, yes, it's important to think about under the, the circumstances in which we're currently operating, how much water can you safely export, but it's a knob that can be turned quickly, but it's really a lousy way to think about managing the system rather than thinking about this sort of broader ecosystem approach where, frankly, all Californians have a role to play in, in, in how, our, in making our footprint more careful. Question over here on your, oh, there's one more comment. Could I, could I add to that? Um, th th that is one of my frustrations with the present system, uh, or the present planning, the Bay Delta Conservation Plan. From, from the perspective of the Delta people, it is appropriate to export uh, surplus water out of the Delta. We've always supported that. Um, the difficulty with the Bay Delta Conservation Plan is it did not begin with determining what that amount of water was and then designing a system to export that amount of water. Um, so uh, I, I think it's a, a very important open question still. The uh, Delta Reform Act of 2009 uh, tasked the Water Resources Control Board of the state of California to determine or to set flow standards on the two main rivers and all of the tributaries. That will answer some questions once that is done, as well as outflow from the Delta. So that process is being investigated as to what uh, amount of water or what is available. And once those questions are answered, then I think it's appropriate to design a system to, to export that amount of water. What we've got here, <laughs> what we've got here is sort of the cart before the horse, and, and I'm afraid that if we move forward with the wrong system, we've developed the demise for the Delta. And so that, you know, I just wanted to add that to your... Next question over here on your left. 
thank you. My name is David Abelson. I'm a proud graduate of Occidental College, as is my daughter, the class of 2012. Uh, I'm also the past executive director many, many years ago of the Planning and Conservation League. Uh, so the 1982, 80, 78, 76, 74, uh, State Water Project 1960, you can trace it all the way back, are issues that I have had some dealings with. A um, couple of comments and then a question. Uh, the comments are that just for the sake of the audience here, 40-foot tunnels, two of them are about the size of this room, maybe a little bigger, uh, filled with water. So just want to get a little kind of mechanical perspective on what we're talking about. It's a lot of water. Uh, second thing is, when Governor Brown was around the first time, he sponsored something called the Governor's Water Rights Commission Report. Uh, it was a wonderful report, talked about water transfers, uh, the inefficiency of not marginal cost pricing water, uh, the need for California to get into a comprehensive groundwater management program throughout the state. Uh, none of those things were adopted, none of them, and the governor did not stand behind them in the end. The issues are still there. At the time on groundwater, there were three states that didn't have it, Arizona, Texas, and California. There's now only one that doesn't have comprehensive groundwater management. That's California. So I guess my question is, it seems to me that the box has been defined very narrowly. Uh, the Public Policy Institute did a fantastic report a year or so ago uh, on the water transfers issue, which is taking existing supplies that people already have and letting it be transferred to the areas where it's needed. We're not short of water for cities, ma'am. I have to strongly, strongly disagree with you. There is 30 million plus acre feet in the state under development, times five people on an acre foot. You've got enough water in the state developed for 150 million people. The question is, what are you doing with the developed supplies? And the answer is you're not marginal cost pricing it. You're not doing groundwater management. Instead, you're building 40-foot tunnels. And that was what was missing in 1982. Frankly, it's what's still missing, so I'd be interested in your reaction. Okay, I, I, I'm going to try to hit as much as I can on this. Um, there is a relationship between reliable supplies, sustainable supplies that can be exported from the Delta and groundwater management in the state, um, and also water transfers. I can speak from experience um, being responsible for all of the water transfers that our water district does, as well as for the water banking that we do in Kern County. Um, our own water district was formed for groundwater management. I think most people uh, might not realize that downtown San Jose was once 13 feet higher than it is today. It was overdrafted, the water district was formed. The only way we halted that subsidence was through the importation of water, um, both from Hetch Hetchy and from our uh, state and federal contracts. So there is a link. You know, we're being told, do groundwater banking. Don't build new reservoirs, build, do groundwater banking. Um, don't, you know, do water transfers. But the biggest impediment to that is conveyance. And especially with climate change and uh, global warming, what we're going to see is a lot more flashy streams. We're not going to see the snowpack and the water available in a nice orderly fashion. You need the infrastructure that can support those activities and can support groundwater management. You need that flexibility. So that's... That's, you know, obviously um, something that I've concluded, I guess, from my experience in working for the Water District. Uh, I wanted some clarification regarding the, in, um, 
the plan that's coming out December 13th um, for public comment. I mean, is this plan subject to CEQA? I know that there's been um, some efforts in Sacramento to try to weaken or dismantle CEQA. So I was curious about that. And also, um, if it's an administrative process, what happens once the public comments are made? Mm -hmm. And then secondly, it sounds like the funding for the plan is a water bond. And is that something that the citizens vote on? And if the water bond is restricted to, or let's say, touted as a wildlife habitat restoration money, uh, I'm just wondering what the thinking was behind having an administrative process to create uh, this Delta plan. And then the wildlife, again, is kind of an afterthought. And the people who potentially would be concerned about the wildlife would be reluctant not to vote for the bond because that money would potentially be used for wildlife habitat. So I'm, I'm just a little, I just need a little clarification about perhaps, maybe I'm being a little cynical here, <laughs> but the politics behind not really having input into the plan and then really kind of being um, discouraged from um, voting against the funding because the funding that would be in place would be for habitat restoration. Could the document that will be coming out is actually a CEQA document. Um, it came out in an administrative draft earlier in the year, and now the, the public draft will be coming out in December. And um, the comments, it'll, I believe they're anticipating a 120-day comment period at this point, which is um, the least you could do on a 25,000-page document, I guess. Um, but so, I mean, that is the process. It's following the CEQA process. So those comments would go back to the decision makers. Based on those comments, they could either alter the plan. If they alter the plan significantly so that it's no longer covered by the CEQA document, they might have to do supplemental CEQA analysis. But it is, it is marching through that process. Who is the decision makers on this? Decision maker ultimately will be the, um, the, the California Department of Fish and Wildlife has to determine that it make, meets the standard of the Natural Community Conservation Plan Act, which means that they have to be able to say that the species collectively that are under the plan will start to show improvement. So um, a, tra you know, a trajectory towards recovery. So that's the determination they have to be able to make, that this plan collectively will benefit the species, and then you can permit. Going. There's 60 plus species, 50 or 60 that are, are wrapped in. Going to your, quickly to the, the, the payment, uh, you know, the expectation is that the water contractors that would benefit from the water supply would pay for the construction and operation and mitigation for the, for the tunnels themselves or the new diversion facility, whatever it ultimately ends up being as a result of going through this process. So there's there's opportunity for the process to be modified in the CEQA process. Then the expectation is that it would be public dollars that would pay for the habitat, as you suggest, through a water bond. And I think the thinking there was that it is, it's, it's the greater public benefit. The water contractors didn't cause all of the harm in the Delta. We've talked a little bit about how water supply is significantly taken out of the system before it gets to the Delta, and the fact that we've eliminated all of the habitat um, from in-delta agriculture and fundamental changges in, in uh, food web composition and invasive species, all of these things are sort of the collective public 
benefit. Responsibility or benefit. That's. You get a healthy delta. They, we, the, the contractors get a much bigger bill um, yeah. for the, the conveyance infrastructure as it's now conceived. Um, so the, the public will be asked, or at least that's the plan now, to, to pay for the, uh, the, the majority of the, the ecosystem enhancement activities, which includes right now a lot of habitat acquisition. Um, I think the number is something like 145,000 acres. And, and I'll say that in the same way that people are asking questions about whether the size of the tunnel component of this makes sense, size and location and, and so on makes, makes sense, people are also asking questions about whether the amount of habitat that people are now looking at in the plan makes sense, because that's pricey too. Um, and I know that's a concern for folks in the Delta, just in terms of you know, potentially gobbling up about a quarter of the total land area. Um, and um, there, there are legitimate questions about whether that needs to be as big either. I'd, I'd like to add to that. The, the, the way that we understand it is that the infrastructure would be paid for by the contractors or those that receive the water. The, the price tag is somewhere between 25 and $50 billion. And, and from our standpoint, that's very difficult to, to understand the economics and the feasibility of it when we're not talking about additional water. We're talking about approximately the same or, or maybe less, maybe a little more. Um, that's number one. Number two... Uh, the, the, the very problem that you raised is what the, the Sacramento County Farm Bureau uh, dealt with when we uh, analyzed the current bond that has been pulled off the ballot two or three times. In that, um, the Sacramento County Farm Bureau is looking at its, at its base of agriculture land that's saying, you know, uh, for us to support a bond that has uh, money in it to take land out of agriculture, uh, substantial amounts of land out of agriculture we could not support. The State Farm Bureau supported it because there's a big chunk of money in this particular bond for uh, storage. And uh, uh, so we were at odds with, with our State Farm Bureau when, when we dealt with it. But we dealt with the same question. You know, We may be in favor of some habitat, but if it moves the Bay Delta Conservation Plan forward, we would have to be opposed. Where in the overall policy picture is um, the requirement for consumers to reduce water use and um, on the agriculture side to grow crops that uh, reduce, that, that utilize less water? Um, I live on the peninsula. I see a heck of a lot of lawns. Um, and... I live in San Mateo County in Menlo Park, formerly on the Environmental Quality Commission. On the Santa Clara side of the San Francisco Creek Aquifer, there's uh, groundwater regulation in San Mateo County. You can take as much groundwater as you want. So where in the overall picture is consumer, agriculture, and groundwater requirements for conservation? I, I, all I want to say is that was part of the 
the law along with the Delta Reform Act was 20% by 2020. I hope you're all making your, doing your part on that. Um, there's an expectation that consumers in, in cities will, in cities and suburbs, will reduce their per capita water use by 20% by 2020 relative to 2005. In most places, it's already looking pretty good on that. Um, there has been a lot of progress. We can still make a lot more if you compare us with places like Australia or Spain or Israel that have similar climates and good qualities of life with a lot less water than we use. So I that's your take-home message for what you can do. Um, that can make a huge difference in terms of freeing up water that could be used in other ways if we do that collectively um, as, as a state. And it's much different for, to think about farmers than to think about city residents reducing their water use because for farmers, reducing the water use basically means not growing the stuff. Farmers put in drip irrigation that might be more efficient and more productive for them in terms of, the, uh, of the, what they're getting uh, in terms of their uh, income from that farm, but the runoff from flood irrigation is actually the major way that we re recharge our groundwater basins now. It's not a loss to the system. So it's wrong to think that forcing agriculture to ad adopt drip irrigation is going to be the solution for, for our water problems. Whereas if we stop using lawns, that is really a net savings. So take that home with you guys. <laughs> I'd have to totally agree with yeah. Alan on that. Yeah. Um, but, but agriculture is is moving is to drip. Moving to drip. Yeah. Uh, in, in the delta, I have I have groundwater at three feet, three to five feet. Um, but still, and it, still, we're using drip. I have the only uh, pear orchards on the river uh, under drip uh, for for a variety of reasons. But uh, one end result is we use less water. Less water runs off our property. When you don't have water that runs off your property, you don't have the situation where perhaps something gets in the water supply that you don't want. So there are there the are quality, yeah exactly. there are reasons yeah. to to eliminate and reduce uh, runoff. Uh, in my particular area, I'm not too worried about groundwater uh, going down. I'm worried about it coming up because it, <laughs> it it does create problems for us when the river goes up, the groundwater comes to the surface. Um, but in other areas of this state, there are major, major problems, and um, agriculture is uh, contributing to those problems when it comes to groundwater. I, I will say one thing. Water transfers are not necessarily the answer. The people in Northern California are very, very worried that their neighbors will sell water and then tap the groundwater to, to grow their crops, and they will have the same groundwater problems you maybe have on the east side of the San Joaquin. So there, there are concerns about groundwater, and the sooner we all get our hands around that, I think the better off we will all be. Yeah, I think she mentioned, um, the um, woman mentioned groundwater in the Santa Clara side. You have San Francisco Creek, so you have uh, the San Mateo side and the Santa Clara side. So Santa Clara uh, Valley Water District doesn't regulate groundwater. <laughs> what we do is we manage groundwater, and we're, rec we're allowed to recover the costs of doing that through groundwater charges. Um, San Mateo County doesn't have such a program, so people can pump whatever they want for free, and I would just su suggest that's maybe not a sustainable system. With that, thank you so much, and we'll see you at the reception. Thanks.